Thank you, Brother Weeks, and praise the Lord, everybody. How many is as happy as I am to be in church tonight? How many has enjoyed what you've already received at men's conference? Praise God. Amen. Such tremendous preaching from the Word of the Lord. Uh, last night with Brother Townley, my, um, what great preaching. I appreciated that message so much. I told him, I said, um, that message would probably work in Texarkana. Praise God. Whether he gets to come and preach it or not, I think it's still working in Texarkana. <laughs> we hope he gets to come preach it. But anyway, it was good. Good message from the Lord. Also, this morning, Brother Riley, and then um, dear friend, Brother Johnson. And uh, man, I got in the car when I got done hearing Brother Johnson. I said, I got to make a phone call. Don't you laugh. You did the same thing when you got in the car. Or you better have, praise God. And I noticed I wasn't the only one. I looked over and Brother Weeks was talking to his wife. All those sweet nothings and never heard so much bragging and encouragement all my life. Praise God. So at least me and Brother Weeks was helped by that, Brother Johnson. And I uh, appreciate that message. It's good to be here with the Pazich. Um We appreciate them so much. What a great conference. And uh, my, what hospitality has been afforded to us. Uh, a nice room. Got in. And uh, received a basket, and I'm still finding things in that basket, and uh, all kind of goodies to eat, many of them homemade. It's just my kind of deal, praise God. And uh, beautiful church, great spirit here. I've always been treated with such kindness every time I've came and preached in the southeast among these brethren, and uh, all of you I consider to be our friends. We appreciate what you stand for. Appreciate um, the revival atmosphere that we feel. And how many knows that it's important for men to be an integral part of that? Praise God. Praise God. And I appreciate men that stand behind their pastor. I appreciate men that are supportive to the work of God. Not just in their finances, and that's important. Not just in coming to church, and we know that's important. But really, when they get there, they get in the Spirit. They're supportive of the preaching of the Word of God. And whatever the pastor enforces in the church, they also go home and live and enforce it in their home. And that's important in this day and hour. Praise God. It's good to see my friend, Brother Harrelson, here. We was with him about a month ago or so in Dothan. We appreciate him so much. And I'm just going to preach a little bit tonight. I had a hard time finding anything that had not been touched upon. And Brother Townley got, got to going on that list of men. I thought, my Lord, amen. But I think I found one. In the book of Acts, chapter number 9. Book of Acts, chapter number 9. There was a good spirit of worship here tonight. Acts chapter number 9 and verse 32. We'll read a few verses of scripture there. And it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters 
he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named N.S., which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, A.N.S., Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make up thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Verse 33, and there he found a certain man, everybody say a certain man, named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And verse 35 says, and all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. I don't have a title per se tonight. I just want to preach about this man, Aeneas. Praise God. Why don't you lift up your hands and your voices to the Lord. Let's pray for the Lord to help us, anoint us, direct us in this service. Jesus, we look to you again, the author, the finisher of our faith, asking you to help, to strengthen, to bless us here tonight. Anoint us. As we endeavor to do your will, I pray, O oh God, for that touch of your spirit. Pray for the Holy Ghost to move in this house. Bless these men. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, let's just praise the Lord for a moment. Let's just worship Him. Somebody magnify the name of Jesus. <coughs> there is none like Him. Oh, I said there's none like Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Forgive me as I digress for just a moment and just talk to you about some things that perhaps you already are aware of from the book of Acts, but just to set a platform for what we want to preach about tonight. The book of Acts is, of course, the inspired history book of the early church. It is really a book of transition. It covers a period between the Gospels and the Epistles. It begins by showing us how the church came into existence on the day of Pentecost. And though it never really formally concludes, there's no formal salutations, there's no formal conclusions to the book of Acts, the author does not sign off on it. How many knows that we're still a part of that church and we're still fulfilling it today? But it shows in the progression of things as you begin to read through its pages, it shows how the gospel expanded to the Gentile world. The storyline of the book of Acts revolves around the personalities and the ministries of really three men, Simon Peter, Stephen, and the Apostle Paul. Simon Peter was the apostle to the Jews. and Of course, Paul was the renowned apostle to the Gentile nation, which Stephen was the link, I believe, between these two individuals in the book of Acts. One thing you must understand about the book of Acts is that... (laughs) 
purpose. It seems that the Lord, a chapter that I read to you from, to come to them. And persecution would drive them out of Jerusalem into places like Samaria and beyond. In this particular chapter that I read to you from, Peter, who was the key holder of the New Testament and primarily the apostle to the Jews, God is now beginning to deal with him and lead him to open the door to the Gentile world. The Gentiles up until this point, up until this time, had been to dwell in this. Without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of strangers from the heavens of Christ, having no hope without God in these early church members mighty uncomfortable. Their traditional mindsets are being shaken at this point. Their concepts about revival are being challenged. They are experiencing what I would call a major, a major paradigm shift. For instance, in the earlier portions of chapter number 9, Saul, the feared antagonist and persecutor of the church, has recently been converted. And you can read that conversion story in the early verses of chapter number 9. Just one chapter before, you can see that how he has consented to the death of Stephen, who was stoned. He's now got... Uh, documents in his hand headed towards on the road to Damascus with documents in his hand to further persecute the church. But now he has been converted. And this church is not only being asked to accept him, but they're also being asked to allow him to be a part of the ministry. And if you don't think that's a difficult thing, it would be the equivalent to Osama bin Laden getting the Holy Ghost. And then your pastor asking him to come and preach a revival. And you can imagine how that they're rocking and reeling from all of this. And if that was not enough, in chapter 10, there's a man by the name of Cornelius. A devout man. A praying man. A godly man. A man that was doing everything that he knew to please God. Knowing that there was something that was missing. Knowing that from God. Understanding that he didn't have everything that he needed. 
He was a given man. He was a praying man. He was a devout man. He was an honorable man. He was a moral man. And God began to deal with him and sent him a vision. And an angel of the Lord spoke to him and told him some instructions of how that he was going to receive the revelation of the truth and how that the gospel was going to be preached to him. And at the same time, there was Peter who was on the housetop praying, waiting on his meal to be prepared down in the house. And God began to deal with him and he saw that sheet with, that was tied at four corners and come floating down and there was all manner of wild beasts and, and uh, uh, corruptible things to the Jews. And God spoke to him and said, Rise and slay and eat. And he said, Not so, Lord, I'd never eat anything that was common or unclean. And God began to speak to him through this and said, Don't you call anything that I have cleansed common or unclean. And you know the story of how that eventually he went down to where Cornelius was and preached to Cornelius' house. And the Bible says as he began to preach the word of the Lord unto them, that the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to wait for the altar call today? But even while the word of God is going forth, somebody can get their miracle in men's conference. Even while the word of the Lord is being preached, somebody can receive an answer to their prayer. Even while the Holy Ghost is moving and you're responding to the Word of God, I believe there's men here at men's conference that can get a renewing in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost can fall on us. The Holy Ghost can move in our lives. The Bible said that the way that they knew that they got the Holy Ghost is they heard them speak in tongues. I'm telling you, that's still how you get the Holy Ghost tonight. Amen. You don't learn how to get the Holy Ghost. Nobody takes you to a class to teach you about the Holy Ghost. If you get the Holy Ghost, it's God inspired. And you will speak in tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gives you the utterance. I wonder if there's any men in here tonight that's got that experience that I'm talking about. I got the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Oh, Peter was so astonished by that. And I believe somewhat reluctant because he was not there alone. He knew what God had showed him and what God had revealed to him. He said, I perceive that, that God's no respecter of persons. But he's walking softly here. He says, hey, can any man forbid water seeing that these have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Amen. He was not asking if they wanted to be baptized because the Bible tells us that he commanded them to be baptized. Oh, but he was just checking with the rest of those brethren whether they were going to be reluctant or whether they were going to be resistant against them being baptized. You know, sometimes we can worry about what somebody else thinks when God's moving, when God's working. When God's given our church revival, we're too worried about what the church across town's going to think about it uh, and what, uh, what the other brother in our fellowship's going to think about it. Hey, I'm going to tell you, if God's in it uh, and if God's working, can any man forbid water? Hallelujah. And they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to stop right here and tell you that that's still the way we believe as apostolics. 
The only formula of baptism is that you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for remission of sins. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. And so we're seeing as revival is beginning to expand to the Gentiles. God is beginning to move on what had been considered by the Jews as heathen people, unworthy people. Oh, I could preach a little bit here and tell you that we can't be selective about who God saves and who God moves on and who God works in. I've seen them lately come in and their arms are all tatted up. Amen. It's obvious the scars of sin on their life. It's obvious they didn't come from the same side of town that the rest of the saints came from. It's apparent when they come through the doors that they don't have the raisin in the background that others in the church have. But there's something drawing them. There's something moving on them. There's something compelling them. And they come to an altar. And you know what? God forgives gives them just like he forgave you. Amen. God cleanses them just like he cleansed you. And God fills them with the Holy Ghost just like he filled you with the Holy Ghost. Come on, the gospel still works. It don't have to be modified. It don't have to be watered down. It still works to change and transform lives today. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. But sandwiched between the conversion of the Apostle Paul and the eventual salvation coming to Cornelius' household, these two powerful, colossal events in the book of Acts, I read to you a little short caption from the Word of God. Simon Peter came to preach at a place called Lydda, which in my study I found was on the outer perimeters of Jewish culture of that day. You see, God's leading him out. And he comes to this place called Lydda. And there the scripture says he found a certain man named N.S., which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. The first thing that strikes me about this story is the length of time that A.N.S. had been down. Eight years is a long time. Amen. It's two terms for a president. Not long enough for some. and Way too long for others, praise God. Eight years down. Eight years. You talk about a chronic problem. Eight years. I don't know how many church services he had been carried to in that time. I don't know how many prayer meetings had been held around the bed of ANS by that point. I don't know how many times he had been anointed. I don't know how many times they'd sought God for his healing. But eight years, that's, that's a long time to struggle with anything. Eight years, that's a long time to wrestle with anything. Oh, I see men, amen, and this is a men's conference. I, I see men go through services after service and, and weeks and months and years, amen, 
and revival service after revival service and move of God after move of God and there's no change there's no transformation nothing happens in their life oh there, there's no revival in their spirit there's no renewing in their soul amen and, and it's not long until it turns into a chronic problem amen they come to church and just sit there unmoved by the power of the Holy Ghost unstirred and, and un, 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 untouched amen by conviction as God begins to move I'm going to tell you amen if you can go through service after service and somewhere along the way you're not stirred up and you're not challenged and you're not moved upon it's going to tell you you need a revival I said you need a revival eight years is a long time to be down you know there, there's many reasons why a person can be down they can be knocked down I said they can be knocked down and how many knows that there is a devil there's an enemy of your soul that is always looking for occasion always looking for opportunity that is always placing snares that is always looking for his time to be able to knock you down and destroy you my bible says the feet cometh not but to for to kill to steal and to destroy hallelujah that's his mission that's his goal amen first peter chapter number five and verse eight says be sober be vigilant because your adversary how many knows you've got an adversary tonight your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Amen. I got to looking at that. I, I thought, you know, as much as that suggests that, that the devil is capable of destroying us and there, there is a place that you can live that is well within his grasp and that he can wreak havoc in your life. It also suggests that there is a place that a saint of God can live that is beyond his reach. Because it did not say that he would devour. It said that he may devour. Hallelujah. He wants to destroy you. He wants to knock you down. He wants to trample you underfoot. He, he wants to destroy your family. He wants to, he wants to take your children down. He, he wants, amen, to get between you and your wife and your marriage. But I got news for him. I'm going to live in a place with God that is beyond his reach. There is a place in God that I can live that is beyond His ability to destroy me. And wherever that place is, that's where I want to live. That's where I want to dwell. Come on, brother. You don't need to be living out on the perimeter. You don't always need to be out riding fences somewhere. Get in the middle of what God's doing. Get involved in the church. Amen. Worship when it's time to worship. Pray when it's time to pray. Amen. Come to the house of God at the appointed time. By doing so, you're getting in a place that the devil can't get to. Amen. You can be knocked down. But that's not the only way to get down. You can also be let down. How many of you have ever been let down? Amen. I'm going to just tell you straight up, brothers. People of this world are going to let you down. Humanity is going to let you down. 
people that you have the utmost respect for, amen, if all your faith is in them, sooner or later they're going to let you down. They're going to offend you. You know what the crazy thing about offenses is? Is sometimes the person that is offending doesn't even know that he's offended. And we can come to church and be swelled up and got a constipated look on our face. And they're over there just getting their blessing and shouting and tearing up the aisles. And they don't even have any idea that you're mad at them. And you're ready to strangle them. And God's just pouring His Spirit out on them. And you're the only one that's losing. Let me tell you what Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 7. He said, it must needs be that offenses come. He said, in another place that they shall come. It's not, it's not perhaps they will. It's not maybe so. It's a for sure deal. There's going to be offenses in this life. Praise God. People are going to let you down. But not only is it possible to be knocked down and let down, but it's also possible to be run down. Amen. That's why we have men's conference. That's why we come as men and gather together and take time off work and make an effort and sacrifice to be here. It's because we believe, amen, as apostolics in the essential message of renewal as a part of the church. We've got to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. We've got to be refreshed from time to time. Praise God. Paul speaking to Titus, his son in the gospel, in chapter 3 and verse 5 said, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's important that you be renewed in the Holy Ghost often. If it's been six months that you spoke in tongues, can I tell you, it's been too long. If it's been weeks and months that you got the victory and you prayed through, you need a revival in your spirit tonight. You need to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, and be not conformed. I'm going to tell you there's a move on in this world to get you to conform to this world's philosophies. That get you to conform to, to this world's ideas. To this world's way of living. Be not conformed to this world. But be a transformed. Amen. By the renewing of your mind. We, we talk a lot about spiritual renewing and it's, it's a must. It's important. You couldn't overemphasize it. But in that, there's got to be a transformation in our mind. Can I tell you, brothers, that your mind is the gateway to your soul? And just about every area that you're tempted in, it is processed through your mind. And if the devil can take possession of your mind, if the devil, amen, can get access to your mind, if the devil can plague you in your mind, if he can dog you and condemn you in your mind, he's going to get the victory in your life. That's why when we come here, we've got to have God to renew our minds and our thinking. Hallelujah. I need a revival, not only in my spirit, but I need a revival in my mind tonight. 
be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove this is the only way you can do it is through renewing. What What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Amen. We strive to do the will of God, but the only way we can do it many times is to be renewed in the Holy Ghost and to stay full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord. Let's give Him praise. intrigued me about this man N.S. is the Bible says that he was a certain man indicating that there was something key about this man he was the key to revival now we know every man is in a very general sense always important and a key to a church having revival How many knows that revival needs to start with the men, the leader of the home, in the family? But there was something special about this man because as I begin to read this story, I find that that because of his healing and because of him being raised up and because of him taking up his bed after eight years, that two entire cities, the city of Lydda and Saron, When they saw him, the scripture says that they turned to the Lord. And when I read that, it set me to searching. What was so special about this man that revival was sparked in two cities as a result of this one man's healing? And so I got to looking. Well, there's not a lot about NS in the scripture. There's not a lot that you can find other than these few verses. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's in his name. And I looked up the meaning of the word A-N-S. And when I did, something leapt inside of me. It actually means worthy of praise. And then I said, now I understand. I get the picture. As long as praise was down, there was no revival. As long as praise was low, there was no move of God. As long as praise was stopped, as long as praise was hindered. Ladies and gentlemen, when praise got up, or gentlemen rather, when praise got up. As long as praise was low, as long as praise was down, as long as praise was stopped, as long as praise was hindered, there was no revival. But the preacher said to A&S, make up your bed. You're not going to need it anymore. Amen. You're going to get up. And as a result, two entire cities experienced revival. A certain man named A.N.S. Amen. Worthy of praise when praise got up. I think it's time that men of God rise up and worship God and glorify God. You want revival? You want a move of God? You want to see children born in your church? You want to see miracles? You want to see healing? You want to see prayers answered? It's time for us to get up with our worship and our praise and magnify God. Come on, lift up your voice and let's praise Him.
Jesus. We get discouraged. We get disappointed. We get offended. The preacher gets on our toes. Something said that we don't like. Maybe it's the preacher rebuking our little babies. And praise gets down. We decide we're going to punish God. Oh, I know you don't have this problem down here in the southeast, but we got it in Texas, praise God. Yeah, man, what do you mean preaching to my, my family like that? What, what do you mean correcting my children like that? What, what do you mean, amen, telling me that I need to give more of my time to the, to the church and, and I need to dedicate more and I need to consecrate more and, and we need to lift up, uh, amen, uh, uh, the standard of the church uh, uh, a little higher. What, what do you mean preaching like that, preacher? And praise begins to sag. And praise is hindered. And praise is stopped. Oh, but where's that man that said, Preacher, I don't care how hard and how straight you preach it. I'm still going to worship God when I come to the house of God. I don't care if you get on my toes, my family's toes. You can preach. You got your liberty because I want to see revival in this city. nothing like men worshiping God. There's nothing like men supporting their pastor. There's nothing like men getting behind the preaching. It shows strength. You're the leaders. Amen. You know what you're saying when you get on that aisle and pump your fist in the air when your preacher begins to preach from the word of God. You're saying I agree with that. And, and your family takes the lead. And your family understands that's where daddy is. That's where daddy stands. This is what he's committed to. You want to have a strong family? You want to have, you want to have a children that love God? Amen. You love God. You worship God. You want to have children that worship and know what it is to have liberty in a church service and know how to shout and magnify God? Why don't you be the example, daddy? First Chronicles is a Old Testament book of revival. First Chronicles chapter number 4 and verse 27. I noticed something very powerful in this passage. It says, and Shimei had 16 sons and six daughters, but his brethren had not many children. Neither did all their family multiply like the children of Judah. Hallelujah. Judah just kept on being blessed. Judah just kept on having babies. Judah just kept on multiplying. Kept on having revival. Kept on growing. Kept on expanding. And we know what Judah means. And I got to look at it, Shimei. Shimei was, uh, he had a problem with respecting God's anointed. When David was leaving the city of Jerusalem, when David was at his lowest ebb, his son Absalom had rose up in rebellion against him. He was leading the city. It, it, was, it was Shimei that was disrespecting him. He had a problem with 
his mouth. He, he cursed David. He couldn't control his tongue. I'm going to tell you, you'll never be blessed of God unless you can get control of what you say. Until you become a man that can say, yes, sir. Until you become a man that would say, that's right. No matter how it goes against my flesh. No matter how much it grades on me. Shimei was a rock thrower. Accuser. Amen. Stirring up trouble. Kicking up dust. Amen. Rebellious against the man of God. Shimei could not follow orders. And Solomon told him and said, all, all you got to do to be saved and to stay alive is to stay within the borders of this city. He said, all oh, the... The man in authority, the preacher, he don't know what he's talking about. I'm just going to slip across by night and do what I want to do. Amen. And the Bible says, as a result, he died. When it didn't have to be that way, all he had to do was learn how to follow instructions. You got to decide. You could be a shimmy-eye, a rock thrower, a rebellious person, an accuser, somebody that can't control their tongue, which the Bible said, if you can't control your tongue, your religion is in vain. Is that what the Scripture says? It doesn't matter what you profess. It doesn't matter how good you dress. If you can't control your mouth, brother, if you're a gossip, and I found out a long time ago that women ain't the only one that do the gossiping in the church. You could choose tonight to be a Shimei or to be a Judah. And Judah said, I'm just going to praise God. I'm just going to worship. And God's going to add to me. And God's going to bless me. And God's going to multiply me. Come on, my brother. If you want revival, it's time for praise to arise in the church. If you want to move of God, when you come to the house of God, make up your mind, I'm going to praise Him with all of my heart. We all rejoice in the story of the Israelites being delivered from Egypt and how God brought them out with a mighty hand, the Scripture says. And how that the Lord brought them across are through the Red Sea. And once that Egyptian army was drowned in that sea, how that Miriam picked up that timbrel and she began to lead Israel in a song of praise. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. I, I enjoy that and I appreciate so much in our churches and it's, it's in our church and I appreciate it. The women... That, that lead out sometimes when the men don't and worship God and take their liberty and praise the Lord. We have a lot to be thankful for, for, for good Holy Ghost-filled women that enjoy worshiping the Lord. But I cannot help but ask the question, where were the men at in all of this? Hallelujah. I thank God for Miriam, but wh where's the man that will take a hold? 
and say, I'm not going to wait for, for somebody else to break the ice around here. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to sing the song. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to get on board with the preacher around here. Psalms 107 says, no less than four times, amen, all oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. As if to emphasize it again, he says it a second time. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Four times he emphasizes it. Can I tell you that worship is still a man's business? It's a man's responsibility when you come to the house of God to worship God. Don't, don't let your wife be the one to lead in the worship in your family. Don't, don't let your wife be the one, the only one teaching your children how to praise God, how to pray before church, how to get behind the preacher. We need some men to step up and be a man and worship God. Why don't we do it right now? Why don't we pray? Come on, Annas. It's time to take up your bed and go home and be a worshiper and turn your city upside down for God. Recently, I was looking at John chapter number four where Jesus met that lady at the well. And he said to her, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I was always under the impression that when he said true or true worshipers, it was just the opposite of those that were false or those that were not real. They were hypocrites. They're not true worshipers. But when you study the word true as it is written here in the Greek in this text, it comes from the root word which means unconcealed or impossible to hide. A true worshiper does not try to hide their love for God. A true worshiper doesn't try to fit in with the rest of the crowd. A a true worshiper does not respond just when others respond. A true worshiper is uninhibited. A true worshiper is unafraid. A true worshiper is unintimidated. Amen. To express their love for God. Somebody says, well, Pastor, I'm I'm jumping on the inside. I'm leaping on the inside. I I didn't get out and I didn't worship God, but I was short dancing on the inside. I was lifting my voice on the inside. Amen. I was running on the inside. Well, you're not a true worshiper because you managed to conceal it. But a true worshiper says, I don't care if anybody else is doing it. I'm not waiting on somebody else to get it going. I don't have to have a perfect note on the organ and a favorite song sang and a preacher to get on my candy stick. But when I come to the house of God, bless your heart, I'm a true worshiper. I can't conceal how I feel about him. I can't conceal how thankful I am, how much I love him. If you only knew what he brought me from, what he did for me, you'd understand why I'm a true worshiper under God. 
Come on, is there some true worshipers in this house? You just can't hide it. You just can't conceal it. You're not worried about what anybody else thinks about. Come on, I think we ought to just wave our hands to the Lord and give him some praise. Right? Musicians, would you come, please? Let's remain standing. Come on, let's worship God. How about it, A&S? Are you tired of being down? You want revival in your city? It's time for praise to get up. Somebody to worship him. Praise God, praise God, praise God. You know, we're doing good here, but I feel it. And it's not just here, it's anywhere. Worship goes against the grain of some people's thought of masculinity. Amen. Praise God. You just can't really be masculine and, and do all that. You can't really be a man's man and do all that. How about all that? Amen. That just resist. Everything in me rises up. My pride, I don't know. I can't do that. You know, David to me has been a real dichotomy in the scripture. I mean, he's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He kills lions and bears on one hand. On the other hand, he's sitting down writing poetry under God. Amen. How many poets you know? Praise God. They all like bear hunting. Praise God. Most of them I know are kind of mama's boys. But he was able to work that balance out somehow. He's laying giants. In the next moment, he's playing a harp to drive spirits away from King Saul. He's fighting Philistines. Doing battle against the enemies of God. He's sitting on the throne. He's got a crown on his head, a scepter in his hand. Somebody tells him it's time to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the people of God and establish it in the city of David. Bring it to Zion. He said, let me take this crown off. I don't know how he did it. Amen. Maybe he bartered with a priest and said, I'll let you be king for a day if you'll let me be a priest for a day. And he gets that linen ephod and he puts it on because that's what the priest wore in the presence of the Lord. And he said, I'm going to humble myself down. Doesn't matter what my position is. Doesn't matter what my, what my anointing is. No matter how high level I am in God's kingdom. I, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to show Israel, amen, that the only way you can have revival and bring the presence of God here is to worship Him. And so he got out in front of that ark and said, let me tell you how you bring the presence of the Lord into the camp of Israel. Amen. What always precedes the presence of God is praise and worship unto God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody needs to take off the crown tonight. 
Somebody needs to give up your scepter tonight. Somebody needs to take your real robe off for just a little while tonight. Somebody just needs to be a priest for a day. And say, I'm going to put on the linen ephod. And I'm going to worship God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. Where are you, A&S? Are you tired of being down in discouragement? Are you tired of being down in disappointment? Are you tired of the enemy having his way in your home? It's time for you to get up, make up your bed, and praise God a little bit here tonight. Come on, let's lift up our voices to the Lord. Give him the glory. 